You're listening to Coming Out and Beyond, LGBTQIA plus stories, a podcast that celebrates the wisdom, courage, experience, and joy of individuals in the queer community. Every week, we feature a guest who has a remarkable story to tell about their coming out and the life they've lived beyond. Now here's your host, Anne-Marie Zansel. I'm excited to welcome to my show today, Amanda Ferret, who is the founder of Value Yourself Counseling, a certified advanced EFT tapping practitioner, wellness counselor, and international speaker. Over the last two decades, Amanda supported others to meet various needs in the field of human development and social services, including those in crisis or healing from trauma. Amanda now helps women and teens that feel lost or out of sync with themselves get back to a place of deep self-knowing, unburdened by guilt or shame. Amanda supports them on their journey to empower their inner badness. I like the little trademark by that. By combining her empathy, knowledge, lived experience, passion, and professional skills to create safer, braver spaces for deeper healing and personal growth. Amanda identifies as a fat, queer, neurodivergent, disabled woman and wants to show the world that these, that those with marginalized identities deserve to be seen, heard, and safe within their communities. Welcome, Amanda. Thank you for having me. Oh, I'm so excited to hear your story. So, Amanda, can you tell me your story? Sure. So, growing up, I grew up in small town Montana with fairly conservative family members and always kind of knew I was a little bit of the black sheep, right? A little more liberal, a little more outspoken about certain things. And so I've been, I like to say I have over 30 years of activism because I've been an activist since I was a child and growing up, like obviously in conservative Montana, you know, anything doing, having to do with the LGBTQ community, of course, back then it was just gay or queer. Right. And of course those words were not used in positive manners. I always had this interesting draw to the word queer, but never could put my finger on it because I just didn't have the the knowledge or the wherewithal. Fast forward many years later, and I, you know, looking back, I've always had this collection of kind of outlier friends and ended up in kind of outlier interesting relationships. But I worked in human services and social services, and I decided to pursue my master's of social work. And unfortunately, life had other plans. I suffered a great number of losses in a really short span while in grad school and got to a point where I wasn't having any space to take care of myself, take do my own self-care, meet my needs. And life imploded as it does when you don't have time or space to take care of yourself. And so I got to take kind of a sabbatical and take time to take care of myself. And of course, things got worse before they got better. But as I was coming out of that, through really good self-care and, you know, doing the work, I realized, okay, there's all these layers to kind of who I am now that I've gotten to take time to kind of sit with myself. And as I reintegrated back into society, because I basically become agoraphobic and had horrible social anxiety and was fairly isolated, I was like, how do I get myself back into the world? And so I was ready to become a self-care and grief coach and I was getting back out there and then the pandemic hit. So we all had to turn back in and turn to online. And 
So in that, I found all these different places and spaces and I was learning new modalities. That's how I found EFT tapping and became a tapping practitioner. But in all of that, I also was part of a woman's group. And in one of our group sessions online, we were supposed to be painting pumpkins and talking about Halloween, which is my favorite holiday. And somebody joined the call. They didn't have a pumpkin to paint. And they just started talking about, you know, a lot of their their most recent kind of dating drama. And I just realized, like, I had this really big visceral reaction. And I got off the call and I was just like, what is this? Where is this coming from? And I realized it's because I had the little inner voice, right? Screaming at me. It's because you're done with this gender heteronormative. I'm like, whoa, what does that mean? Thankfully, I had taken a sexuality and gender course in grad school. Well, that's why you had that language, right? Because if you right. hadn't, you would not have used that language. You'd be like, exactly. right. <laughs> right. So I had the privilege of access to higher education that had, you know, given me some resources. So I had saved a lot of my stuff from grad school and I went and found that folder and started digging through things and again, turning to online. And I was like, oh, I'm queer. Hence why I've always had this like pull or draw to the word, but knew that if I ever tried to even talk about that word, I would have been shut down having grown up in Montana. And so I just kept leaning in and getting curious. And I realized, okay, more specifically, I'm gray arrow ace, aromantic and asexual. Um, Because I just have no desire to have relationships with anybody at this point. (laughs) Let's be honest, the world is just too chaotic and I just don't have time for that. And I was like, and I don't know that if I, when I go back to having relationships, that it's going to be a cis heteronormative relationship. Mm-hmm. Like I finally was like, okay. And since then, I have realized that there's a reason I love Law and Order SVU. I have a crush on Olivia Benson. <laughs> like there's other things, right, that have come about. And so tying that back to, then becoming a practitioner, right? As an advanced DFT practitioner and wellness counselor and somebody who does activism, I now help other people kind of unpack and go through those layers of shedding shame and guilt, getting down to identity roots, going back and doing the inner child work, right? So that we can show up fully authentically as our inner badass selves and live a life that feels aligned, authentic, and safe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I need, I have, to, I want you to do some uh, education for yes. uh, our, my listeners. So gray arrow ace, can you break those down and tell them what they mean? Because um, I'm just curious, what does it mean? I, I mean, I know what it means, but I, want you to explain it. I don't know. Right. The, though. You've stumped me on the gray. I haven't heard that one. So gray basically means that there's gray area because um, all my previous okay. relationships were cis hetero like normative relations, meaning I, a cisgender woman, was dating cisgender men. Mm-hmm. The gray area also is, if I do go back to dating, I don't know whether that will be with men or with women or gender non-conforming. There's that gray area. So the aromantic is, I have no desire, like there's no romantic attraction when I see other people. It just isn't there. I have no desire for romantic relationships. 
I don't have that kind of connection or attachment with anyone. Um, asexual just means, again, I don't have any desire for sexual intimacy relationships at this point. I joke that I have a crush on Olivia Benson because unhuman, right? Like there's moments of attraction or there's a moment, like I know what somebody looks like and I can say, oh, I think they're cute or I think they're beautiful or I can appreciate the human form, but I, it goes nowhere beyond that. It's just like, nope, don't have the time, energy, or desire for those things right now. And to be quite honest, it makes life so much less complicated. So why do you say that? I'm just curious. Because I get to focus on me. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's also that part of, I now no longer have that internal struggle going on. I can say the word queer and I know what that means for me and it fits and it feels good. And I'm not ashamed to date that I identify as such. And I use queer primarily simply because it's easier. Gray arrow ace isn't widely known and there is, you know, education that needs to happen. And I don't always want to do that emotional labor of having to explain what that means because I've had harm done around that. And Therefore, you know, queer not only feels better, but it also is sometimes easier, but it's also easier because I don't have to worry about a partner or the dating drama. I look at the dating world and people that are out there actively dating, you know, I'm in my mid forties and I'm just like, oh, that's just, I'm so glad I'm okay with where I'm at Mm -hmm. because I realized a lot of why I didn't realize that my pull to the word queer was because I identified as queer, but I was so wrapped up in societal and familial programming to pursue a relationship with a man because women got married and had babies and that's oh, absolutely and you know it's it's interesting um uh it's still taught today right i mean I, I like you know i work with people coming out later in life uh generally most of my people identify either as le- bisexual or, or lesbian um and uh, and it doesn't matter. The youngest people I work with are 25 and the oldest people are 75 plus. And the same patriarchal notions that a woman should get married and have babies and, you know, is is still widely held. And sometimes it's desired. You know, I really desired to have children. Now, I don't know if it was such a great idea. I hope my kids never listen to this. <laughs> They drive me crazy, but <laughs> I mean, I was, I sort of really wanted that. And so I was, I, and you know, wanted to get married and do all those things, but being married to me for, to a man was not fulfilling in any sense right. of the word. And now I'm married to my wife and it is so different and so much more fulfilling than I ever dreamed possible. Um, so tell me a little bit about your work that you do with your clients and, and also too. So this is all post pandemic. You do realize that a lot of people have this realization in the pandemic, um, you know, that they're not cis heterosexual people that, um, I understand too, about that draw for the word queer. Um, I use queer for myself. Now my wife's who's been out since she was, um, you know, in her twenties and we're both, I'm 59, she's 60, you know, she has resistance towards that word. Not that she doesn't use it, but I love the world queer because I consider myself like the class of 2016 in coming out. So even though I'm, you know, I came out older, I'm still a queer in the sense that the values I hold are often the same values as somebody who's come out in the mid teens 
And you also too, I hear it in your language. Like yes. even in the last seven years, how much the language has advanced, you know, like, and one thing we both know about the queer community, <laughs> the language is ever changing and yes. ever evolving. So what is type, what kind of work do you do as a coach and who is your ideal client? So for me, it is, you know, women kind of middle age, having that epiphany of my life just doesn't fit anymore, but I don't know how to get back to either what I wanted it to be or what it's meant to be now. And so they are feeling that, you know, they're either living in survival mode, right? A fight, flight, freeze, fawn, or constantly just in stress and activation or they're burnt out and overwhelmed or just that sense of detachment from self and just really having that desire for something more, but still trying to figure out what steps to take and how to make that happen. And they know that like shame or guilt or patriarchal programming is definitely a piece of that or childhood wounding, those kinds of things. And then also I love working with teens, kind of help save them, right. From having to come back and do some of the work. And so so teaching them that self-advocacy and how to kind of set healthy boundaries and gain autonomy in a way that, you know, I try to be Switzerland because I remember what it's like growing up and having parents that never would have understood if I would have come to them first. So I know what it's like to, you know, beg for forgiveness instead of ask for permission first. And what I try to do with teens is, no, this is how you do self-advocate so that there is a healthy relationship between yourself and your parents or guardians. And this is how you navigate those situations that are a little trickier or stickier or uncomfortable. Um, just so that they can, again, have that autonomy and start their life as young adults living unburdened by patriarchal programming or shame or guilt. Because what I see, I'm also the co-chair of the Tillamook County Suicide Prevention Coalition here in Tillamook, Oregon, where I live. And I am super passionate about suicide prevention. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, our community is at higher risk, not because of our identity, but because of the harm we face by others who don't understand or accept our identity. And so for teens, especially important that they have resources and supports. And so I want to be an active resource and support to help hopefully actively do suicide prevention by showing youth how to navigate identity issues within family, familial and societal structures. How do they find you? Like, I mean, like I can understand a 40 something year old woman saying, okay, I need help on this. I'm going to find somebody that, you know, fits who I want to work with, but how do you work with the teens? either through adults that kind of learn about me and plug me into places. Like I've been a guest speaker in homeschool groups, mental health clubs for high schools. Um, I'm currently getting, you know, into my different communities here in Tillamook. And one of the ways I'm doing that is I'm actually throwing a queer prom and we are including teens. Um, I've had teens find me through doing tabling at events. Like I've been at an energy healing event and found some youth that way. So there's various avenues, but mostly it's through like adult referrals or people finding me online Mm -hmm. Um, is just kind of typically the the easiest route. So you said you do a lot of work with shame. Um, Talk about that because um, as somebody who, you know, I do a lot of work with shame as well. I'm a big Brene Brown fan, though her early work is white people shame, you know? 
And then she's evolved. She's an incredible teacher, but, and she has evolved because I remember reading her first book. um, Oh, I can't remember the name right off the top of my head, but she, when she first really talks about shame um, and, you know, she's talking about not bringing cookies to her kids, um, uh, like not forgetting to bring cookies to her kids. And it was like, oh, this is, I understand that because I've, been that person but I also was like oh gosh on the top of all the shame that there is in the world this is so not um huge but it's also a deeper you know shame like when we feel shame about something it's also something quite deeper how do you work right. with people with shame because it's hard because people don't want to go there and right. how do you lead them there or how do you walk with them or how do you work with that right so I like to joke that I'm the badass of holding compassionate spaces because I like those really dark, deep, hard spaces because I've been there. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately in those spaces, I was often very much alone and would have given anything for somebody else that was able to be in those places and spaces with me, but people weren't. And so I am somebody that is, you know, I'm trauma informed. I have a background in social work and I've got the lived experience. And so I just put those together and do my best to meet people right where they're at Mm -hmm. and then just very gently handhold and kind of guide people through. And tapping is a great tool because really the the client is doing the work. I am the, as the practitioner, I'm just creating the space and leading you through, but we follow your language. We follow your emotions. We follow your memories that come up. And so it's all about just really, and I'm also super empathic and intuitive. So that does not hurt at all. Having those gifts and skills to kind of tune in and be that mirror, right? So if people, if I'm kind of picking up on a different read than what somebody's wanting to show me and I'm picking up on something else, you know, that very gentle mirror of, well, this is what I'm seeing. How does that land? And, you know, again, it's just, people just want to be seen, heard and done so in a safe way. And so creating that container where they can fall apart and that it is okay. And I'm not going to go anywhere, right. Until they're ready to kind of move on to the next step. And the modality of tapping that I am trained and certified in is wonderful because we are trained. If our subconscious, you know, we start to do everything with tapping that calms everything down and our subconscious will bring things up. And sometimes we're like, Ooh, okay. I wasn't ready for that. That's a little deeper or darker than I can handle today. I'm trained to kind of help you put that away, pack it back up, set it aside until you're ready to go there so that we don't re-trauma or re-trigger anything, you know, for people. Because of course, I don't want to make you feel worse before I can help you make you feel better. I want to walk through you with, through with you, making it a much more smooth transition. Well, and I'm sure people feel safe with their, safe with you because you let them put it away instead of saying right we've got to go through this right now because sometimes, sometimes you're not, you're just not ready to do some work. In fact, with my own therapist, there was some work I needed to do. And she goes, do you want to do that? And I said, not yet. I said, maybe one day we'll come in session and I'll have what you need. I do. We did, we were doing grief recovery work from the Mm -hmm. grief workbook. Have you ever seen that? It's a great workbook. And so we were doing some work with that. And she goes, do you want to write your letters? I'm like, no, not yet. (laughs) <laughs> because part of the recovery is to write letters to the people right. 
And um, I'm like, no, not yet. But because the person I'm grieving is still alive. And so I'm like, uh, no, not yet. But one day you may show up and we, I may show up and have the letters written, but I don't want to go there right now because it's too painful. And right. I'm not ready. I'm just not ready yet. So what is like, okay, I've heard about tapping a lot. What is tapping? Like, like, and, and can you give like such a, like a basic example for someone who just wants to try it on themselves as a, like curiosity? Right. So, yeah. So EFT tapping, EFT stands for emotional freedom techniques. And it's a combination of Western and Eastern practices. So the Eastern practices are that you tap on various acupressure meridian points on your body. And you do that while kind of walking through some talk therapy neuro-linguistic programming type language. And so people can do it by themselves. There are tons of YouTubes and TikToks and all sorts of apps and things out there. The benefit of doing tapping with a practitioner is that we're going to, again, be able to hold up that mirror, walk you through the process in a way that honors whatever emotions are showing up. Because we as humans, if we do things on our own, we want it to be a neat, pretty little linear process. And we might bypass and like gaslight ourselves right into skipping whatever emotionally might need to be dealt with um but it's a super easy tool um i like to start the easiest thing you can start doing and it doesn't even require any of the talk therapy piece is just tapping on your fingers so you can literally take two fingers from your one hand tap along the nail bed of on the side of your nail fingers along the nail bed of your other hand and you just tap a few times move to the next finger and just keep repeating that. And this can be done, you know, under the desk or table. I did it. I was recently in court for something and was nervous because I was representing myself. And so I was tapping under the table while I sat there in the courtroom. I've done it in traffic with one hand. I will remove a hand from the steering wheel and use my thumb to tap alongside on the other fingers. So because what yeah, yeah go, go ahead. ahead. Okay. So what's the purpose? <laughs> So what that does is the tapping on those acupressure meridian points, whether it's on your fingers or on your body, what that does is it sends signals to the limbic system, the amygdala, those parts of your brain that are in charge of bite, flight, freeze, or fawn, that are in charge of pumping out the stress hormones and doing all the things that our brain is hardwired to do to keep us safe, yet isn't always truly helpful in the long run. And it tells all of those systems, calm down. And then we can move into a rest and repose state and access our parasympathetic nervous system. And so we, you know, we go from the activated state to a rest and recovery state. What that also does takes us from primal brain to our higher developed frontal lobe where we can make decisions with clarity and conviction and not just be reacting. We can actually take some time to formulate a response so that reduces impulsivity, aggression, and those kinds of things, because we've got that higher thinking that we now have access to. So I used to be a big practitioner of Kundalini yoga. Do you know, yes. have you ever, ever, yeah. So one of the mudras is Satanama, which is basically the same thing. You're not on the side of your hand, you're on the, the things, but when you are using mudra, and I'm touching my, for those who are listening, I'm temptation, I'm, I'm touching my thumb to each one of my fingers and you do sa ta na ma, which is uh, birth, life, death, rebirth, 
that's what that means. Um, and it's it's mudra in, and again, Eastern philosophy where I'm touching the tips. And it really does. For years, I would do that when I was anxious about something. And I wasn't even, pra- I wasn't practicing at that point. But when I was, I, as you can see, Amanda's right. nodding her head, I can do it really fast. <laughs> <laughs> because it, I, and I think it's this it sounds like it's the same principle right right yeah 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 and so you know there's tapping points so the side of our hands that's mm-hmm. where we do our setup phrases at the start of a round of tapping then there's the top of your head which if you drew a line from your nose up and your ears up where that met is the top of the head point then there's the eyebrow point which is not right above the center of the eyebrow but more above kind of your nose at the start of your eyebrows yeah, and you, yeah, and then yeah. there's side of the eye, which is out from the corner of your eye, under your eye, which is right there. I've got my nice little cheek sinus bones there, um, under the nose, the chin, and then collarbone, which isn't right on the collarbone, but about an inch below. And that point can be kind of sensitive for some folks, but it's one of my favorite spots. And then under the arms, which is kind of awkward. And I don't like to do it when I'm on camera because I look like a funky chicken. But for us ladies, <laughs> it would be kind of where our bra bands hit under mm-hmm. our arms. And then the chest, which is also another awkward one, but kind of right under the breasts or I go right in the center and then wrist point. Mm-hmm. And there, here's, I'll teach another little trick. So if you find yourself getting activated and you're getting kind of riled up or the anxiety is creeping in or you've any kind of big emotion is showing up, you can put your hand over your heart, your left hand over your heart, and your fingers will kind of land right at that tapping point there. And so you're putting your hand over your heart. So you're kind of coming back into your body and then you're tapping that tapping point right there. Mm-hmm. And that will start to help you reground into your body and calm down. And it, again, is another way to kind of do it inconspicuously. Yeah. And you're just kind of- no one would actually, you could be sitting there looking like you're thinking about something right. and nobody would know, like you have a big meeting or something like that. And you're really anxious. Yes. Um, you know, people like this, these things are so important for people and they're so, you know, I think people are just rediscovering all these things or this is fairly new. I've heard of tapping in the, like the last I guess, 10 years or so. Um, how do you incorporate it in your grief work? I'm glad you brought up grief because grief is another umbrella of what I do. Um, I have taught and used grief through, because grief, again, right? We like things to be linear and there's the stages of grief. Those actually were actually for those that were in active death and dying, but we've adapted them now to grief. And there's new oh stages. Gosh, you're the person. <laughs> I say that all the time. I'm like, those were the, they just took them up and placed them on them. And I'm yes. just going to say very quickly that for my women that I work with coming out later in life, those five stages are often very similar yes. because they're dying to a sense of self. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. And no. that's the identity work that I do because there is grief <laughs> in like identity loss. And it's yeah. one of the types of loss we really do not talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, you know, grief brings up really big emotions yeah. and they come on sometimes out of nowhere. Part of why I ended up actually mildly agoraphobic was because I wasn't addressing my grief enough or in the right ways. And I would be out in public and something would trigger my grief unexpectedly. And I would literally be falling apart. And people in our culture here in America don't know what to do with that. 
So when you're losing it in target, literally bawling suddenly as you, you know, the overhead music shifts to something or you see or smell something that triggers your grief. Mm -hmm. Nobody knows, knows what to do with that. And they get really weird and they get really scared. And then you are even more isolated and feel even more awkward. Um, so those are the moments where tapping and grief go perfectly. Also memories. If you said some of the people you're grieving are still alive. I know what that feels mm-hmm. like. Um, and that is so hard as well as like anticipatory grief, right? These griefs where there's like lo- something lost, but not a person yeah. or they're still alive, right? They, these weird areas where grief, there's so much gray area and tapping can help us go in and kind of look at those memories or those relationships and rework our emotions around those things so that we get better centered and have more calm or peace around those things. And um, I know for me, a lot of my grief work, you know, the three three of the humans that I lost in a very short span were three humans who would have a hard time with me being who I am now. Mm-hmm. They were three that kind of pushed back on my young <laughs> activism. Um, <laughs> and so there's some of that reconciliation for me that has to happen. Um, and so that's another way to use tapping is just for me to center back in and not again, slip into that shame, right? Cause shame shows up when there's unmet expectations or expectations don't align. And so, right. Those, that old messaging shows up of, Oh, you know, grandma wouldn't approve or grandpa would be mad at this, or my dad would have this to say, and I can tap in and be like, yes, but 44-year-old Amanda is okay right here, right now. And this is what I want. And this is what I need. And I'm accessing my higher self and my inner badass, as I call it. And coming from that place instead of, you know, wounded or hurt little inner Amanda that is carrying all the shame around, you know, things that. You know, and I also think too, is that, is that those people you mentioned, you know, we're all acculturated a certain way. And so I always like to think that people go to their higher self (laughs) when they like the conditioning of this life, you know, growing up in Montana, and I'm sure your, your loved ones grew up there. It's a certain kind of life. That's a lifestyle (laughs) that, 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 you know, you know, for me, who's from new England and, and lives in the South now to me, you know, big sky country, that whole like rancher kind of vibe. I don't know. That's what I see on TV. I may be totally totally off. Um, but like, you know, there's a certain mindset of how you're supposed to be and how you're supposed to live your life. And so when I feel like people pass on, I often think that like, for example, like, I don't know if you've done this work with those loved ones, but like my parents who were, you know, really just, they were pretty, it was an abusive childhood, but because of their own shit, they were going through, you know, and, um, and, and, I find that it's easier to forgive them when somebody's gone <laughs> because they can't hurt you anymore, right? And um, so I have sort of learned that um, I always wait, like I always think of them moving to their higher self when they move on, and they're not the same person that they we we knew here on Earth. And 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 I know like those people who work with spirit guides and stuff like that. Spirit guides are often like chat cheering us on you know you go girl you go do that (laughs) well and it's funny you bring that up so I remember I've had a couple conversations with folks where you kind of 
at least for us, we'd have these moments where the path of how those people that had passed show up for us, right? And they do, they do, they have that moment of, they show up, you know, there's that raw moment of their, it's that raw loss, right? Shortly after the loss and they show up very differently. And then there's kind of, for me with my dad, my dad is who I've felt it the most with, my dad and my mom's mom. For my dad, he showed up um, really heavy in like dreams and things and other in ways kind of as his old self a little bit, but like there was some of that noticeable. And then he kind of disappeared for a little while. Um, and there was a period of time where he was sending us guitar picks actually from beyond. He played guitar and wrote his own music. And my mom and I, between us, we found three guitar picks mm-hmm. at very like pivotal, poignant moments. Um, and then it kind of got quiet. And then for me, he's kind of shown back up and there is this transformation that I, that I feel in his spirit in that it's like, he's gained some understanding that some of that fear and the ignorance and the things that kind of fueled, you know, the discord in our relationship in those moments where there was discord faded away again, because he has access this higher self mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in the beyond. And so now he does show up as somebody cheering me on and as, as somebody that feels safe and is an ally. Um, I don't feel that way necessarily with my grandparents that were my dad's parents. Unfortunately, I don't think they're there yet. They're a little more stubborn. (laughs) They feel dug in a little bit more, but my dad did pass at 62 and my grandparents passed in their eighties. So, you know, they had a little more living on this earth and uh, I think therefore a little more dug in, but I'm hoping they get there. My mom's mom, um, also same thing has kind of shown up and feels like a, a spirit guide that um, has my back. And I've actually, I had a past life reading done. I don't know if you're into these things, but it was super powerful. And I had the person that was doing it said there were seven past lives that showed up, but three of them were like screaming to be shown and spoken to. And she goes, and you've also got a lot of ancestors showing up. She's like, you got a lot of people here cheering you on. And I was like, feels good because when you grow up, you know, I mean, my grandparents told, don't you dare get your name in the paper unless it's for something good. Mm-hmm. Because don't you go get in the family name in trouble. Especially you know, recognizable last name. <laughs> well, and also, especially if you were an activist in, in um, parts of the world that they were not comfortable with. Right. Because a lot of us, um, you know, it was really interesting to me, Amanda, when I came out, um, I start, you know, I found a Facebook group and that was really what changed everything. And it took me like 10 years to come out. It wasn't like a one-time static thing and done. And I've come out constantly all the time too. Um, But when I found that Facebook group, all of a sudden I saw all these people saying the same things that I had um, always thought to myself. And all of a sudden I had community because I was so isolated before. And then I started to become friends with these people on Facebook and they all had very similar Facebook walls that I did that were very, um, tend to be, you know, more on the progressive side of politics, tend to be very, very, uh, uh, very concerned about civil, you know, civil rights, justice, all those things. And, you know, I didn't like, and so then I was also like, okay, so, but I'm here I am 
a woman of like privilege. I'm white. I had relatively wealth. I was married. I mean, I was at the height of privilege in, in the United States, which is being white for a woman, white, married, and wealthy. <laughs> I mean, that's about as, you know, and, and I was a minister. So, you know, I mean, I was pretty privileged out there. And um, I always wondered, like, why did I have such a heart for marginalized communities? And then it dawned on me that inside of myself, like you were talking about, you realized, oh, because I'm marginalized as, you know, you have all those intersections, but I'm marginal, you know, I I had that heart because I felt very, very, very alone inside. And everything I did up to that point was pretty performative. Um, some things I wanted, but also too, but very performative of, you know, um, getting the good career, getting, you know, doing all those things. And yet inside of myself, I was dying. And when I finally entered the queer community fully, um, I all of a sudden had community in a way that I never had before. So for example, Saturday, I went to a soccer game with a bunch of friends, all of them Four, le- four or five lesbians, two very affirming straight people, straight, all women. You know, when I was living my straight life, I never wanted, like, going somewhere with a group of women to go shopping, I would rather kill myself. <laughs> and so I didn't have right. friendships like that because it just didn't, I just wasn't interested, you know? And then now here I'm doing this stuff that, I'm like sort of surprised, you know, here in my late fifties, I'm going out with groups of women and having a blast, which I never did before because I was always sort of isolated because I was isolated in my queerness in my heteronormative life. And I I see you nodding your head. So am I preaching to the choir? (laughs) (laughs) Well, and it's just, so I currently live in Tillamook, Oregon, which is a coastal farm town um very conservative and yet we're about an hour and a half outside of portland which is not so conservative um and i lived in portland prior to moving here but i kind of came full circle right i was ready to be down a city life and i wanted something that was close enough to like how i grew up but not quite as not the same right and still wanted to be close enough to a big city so tillamook was perfect and i'm 10 minutes from the ocean can't beat that And yet, as I've been planning this queer prom and living more fully into my queerness and just my identity and showing up in all the parts of myself um, and have joined some local boards here and really making a home for myself. Because part of why I left Portland was there was harm done around some of my identities and my spaces and my community there. And it just wasn't a fit anymore. So I came here and was like, okay, I can kind of tuck away and isolate. And then when I was ready, I just, in the last year, I've really kind of put myself out there. And of course, in the last couple of weeks in this planning, I've had some pushback from some local folks that obviously have very different views and opinions than myself. And all it does is add fuel to my fire. My goal is actually to form Tillamook Pride as a nonprofit organization here in our county for folks that are in our community. Um, and are feeling isolated and oppressed and marginalized. And I've been getting some really beautiful emails from folks, 
you know, that are so thankful that I'm doing this work and I'm not doing it alone. I have some great volunteers behind me and we are just committed to showing that we are in all communities and that we deserve to be seen and heard and safe. And, you know, we aren't just in big progressive cities like Portland or Seattle or other places. And we aren't something new that Gen Xers made up, you know, that LGBTQ has always been a community. Again, we're just, you know, learning, growing progressive, progressing in our language and our talking about it. And we're trying to take the word queer back and take power back in talking about things and destigmatizing and shifting the power dynamics. And it's been a really interesting few weeks for me here in Tillamook. And I'm actually going home to Montana next week. Um, for my nephew's graduation, he's graduating college. He went to the college I went to, and I'm actually a little fearful to go home because I've never been this out. I've gone home a few times since I've came out, but I came out mostly to my family and then, you know, on my Facebook page and things, but I'm not, you know, spending time around these people. And my nephew's obviously having a graduation party and I will be showing up and be around a lot of people that haven't seen me since I've been out. and. They ask me what I'm doing. I'm not going to mask or hide myself. I'm, oh, I'm building my business in Telmuck. I'm planning a queer prom. Like, I'm going to be real because I'm tired of masking myself. I've worn a mask for way too long. And I kind of joked with somebody the other day, the only way I will be quiet is if my brother writes me a great big fat check and buys my silence. And even <laughs> then, I don't think that could happen. But my <laughs> bank account wouldn't mind. <laughs> but really it's this, you were constantly trying to figure out where am I safe? Where am I not? How much of myself can I show? And that's what I'm pushing back against in all my work is that we get to unmask and live life safely and just be seen, heard, valued, and treated with dignity and respect. And that we have access to community. We have access to care and just basic human decency and dignity absolutely yes so amanda little firebrand do you do you have a coming out song i saw the it was a a link i didn't click it because i couldn't do it quick enough but what was that (laughs) oh i love megan trainer's badass woman okay and it's just because it's all about like not playing small anymore and getting to show up as you are and just no apologies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love so, that. Yeah. Did you yeah. have, do you have a book or something that, or a movie that you've seen that has really changed your perspective on things? You know, I'm 44 and my favorite movie still to this day is Labyrinth. David Bowie will always be my Goblin King. And I look back and like, my love of David Bowie and Prince and other people that like some of those like gender conformity boundaries. Right. Mm -hmm. I'm just like, Oh, now I get it. Like, so not that labyrinth has been a change, but like watching it now through like these, the lens of an adult, right. That's lived and had the experience I've had. I'm like, okay, year old Amanda, I get it. Well, that's so get it. So Matrix, first time I watched it, I was, I just didn't, I I didn't do anything for me. 
And then the second time I watched it, I was out. I had, you know, and also, and also knew and have tons of trans friends and knows the director is a trans woman. And, and I watched it again and I was like, oh, (laughs) and I love that movie now. Like I, the first time I watched, and my wife watched it with me too. And, and uh, we both really, really liked about the message about breaking free, free from the pods and all those things like that. And I really understand that on a much deeper level than when I watched it the first time and thought, you know, and I was sort of like, yeah, it's okay. Because it was really big when it first came out. Um, How do you describe your life today since this acknowledgement of who you are? Um... It has just thrown fuel on my activist fire um, and advocate fire. Like I, you know, now recognize as a wellness professional, the platform that I have to be an advocate for wellness, access to care, suicide prevention, et cetera. I am motivated to create safer spaces for those of us that hold oppressed or marginalized identities. And the, the more fully I show up as myself, the more it gives permission to show others to show up authentically as themselves. And I just want to keep pushing against those boundaries. And I'm doing it here in this little tiny town that I live in. Um, And so life for me, while there's parts of it that look scary, like going home to Montana, there are, are parts that look really, really good and are, as I'm realizing, absolutely full of rainbows. (laughs) I know that may be a little bit cheesy, but literally just, it feels like there's just yeah, this, these prisms of color and hope and, and new possibility and continued learning and growth. And it's really exciting. Well, Amanda Farrett, thank you so much for being on the show today. I appreciate your time and I appreciate your story and I really love the work you're doing. Thank you. Thank you for having me. This has been fun. You've been listening to Coming Out and Beyond, LGBTQIA plus stories with Anne-Marie Zanzel. New episodes of the Coming Out and Beyond podcast drop every other Friday. You can tune in at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and at annemariezanzel.com. Be sure to hit subscribe when tuning in so you never miss an episode. And for more resources, articles, videos, and a free downloadable guide for coming out later in life, visit annemariezanzel.com.